Just a quick thing before we jump into our time together in the Word. Uh, we always want Mosaic to be a very safe place in here for uh, all the little ears. Uh, so just a, just a quick heads up. Um, today is going to be sort of a, a PG-ish uh, message space only because, not because we're going to do anything explicit, but because the very nature of the topic we're dealing with is in of itself PG, okay? So we're, we're going to be dealing with some of the things uh, that we find in Romans chapter 1. And so if you are here and you've had no dialogue uh, with your son or daughter that might be in that t- you know, 10 and down category, uh, I'm going to pray in a minute and, and it's your call. I, I'm not going to be explicit about anything, but there's going to be some some words and things used and concepts that are a little bit much more mature in nature. And we just want to make sure you're aware of that so you can uh, keep that safe if you feel like you need to do that. Okay, so would you pray with me for a second and we'll jump in. God, you're amazing. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you for the gospel that has uh, revealed to us uh, the, the, the gracious redeemer that you are, that you have rescued our souls, redeemed our futures and restored our purpose. And we stand here again in awe of all that you have done and are doing and will do. And we ask you now to bring us clarity on that again so that we might be in awe even more of who you are and what you have done for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So um, I uh, enjoy being on Facebook. Um, My battery life on my phone says that it steals more battery life than other things. I just found out. So I'm going to have to curb that obsession a tad. Uh, and I don't feel like I'm on there a lot, but don't we all when we're addicted to stuff? So, um, so um, if I was on Facebook and I was posting something on Facebook, I wonder what the comments might look like or what it might feel like if I posted something like this. Okay, so Romans chapter 1, um, I'm going to go to verse 29 and I'm going to read it to you and then I'll tell you what I'm going to post. So I'll, I'll first quote this verse, It'll, I'll put it right on Facebook in quotations. Uh, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And then at the end of putting that verse, I say this is out of Romans 1 about where we go as a human race when we left to ourselves. And then I put this sentence... Let us avoid gossip. What kind of, what, what kind of um, uh, string would I see there? Okay. So for those of us that like to collect information and uh, spread information, we might, we might feel a bit of a sting, right? But overall, we're not going to post, what, what are you talking about? You're going to be like, uh, yay, little thumbs up. It's going to be on there. 312 likes. Ding, 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 ding. That's not gossip, right? Right? What if, I, what if I post, instead of saying, let's try to avoid gossiping, I said this, let's try to avoid murder. I mean, nobody's going to go, what are you talking about? You know, ding, 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 ding. Or this one right here, here it is, the big one. Children, let's obey our parents, because it's on the list there. Children didn't obey their parents. Boy, that, that's the big one, 2,386 little smiley faces, right? And there'll be zero comments from the teenagers because they're all on Instagram, not Facebook. So it works out really well, right? <laughs> so we can talk among ourselves, parents, because we're the only ones on Facebook. And so, um, so if we posted those kinds of things, right, uh, it, it would be fine. Because, because why? Because nobody disagrees that murder is bad. Nobody goes, that, no, I think it's a fantastic idea. And other than a few teenagers that really disagree but want to show that, that, nobody disagrees that, that disobedient children is the way to go, right? 
Okay, parenting 101, your goal, make them as disobedient as possible. The happiest life in a home is a bunch of disobedient children. I mean, nobody, got, nobody doesn't matter your spirituality, your background, your, nobody thinks that way. Even with gossip, nobody, regardless of spirituality, regardless of journey, regardless of whether that goes like this, I think it's a fantastic and helpful idea to extract information from one person that they want to keep secret and share it with the world because surely they really do want everyone to know and I am the catalyst for that and it's good for them, it's good for the world and it's certainly good for me. Nobody thinks that. Everybody kind of knows, yeah, no, doing that's probably not a great idea. Not a great idea at all. What if I posted this to Facebook? Same day, later in the afternoon, I post this, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their woman exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, and then I posted, let's try to avoid this kind of lifestyle. How would that go? What kind of comments would I get? The tone just changed in the room, didn't it? You all started sweating, didn't you? Yeah, no, no, I mean, legitimately, feel it with me. There was a big change. We were laughing and giggling before, and suddenly it's quiet, and we're like, ooh, that wouldn't be good. Why would that not be good? Because those two verses back up against each other and they're in the same context, in the same space, and yet I post one and it's like, ah, and I post the other and it's like, ah, right? Well, for starters, let's talk. Why would that be so different? Here, here's why. There's reasons, legitimate reasons. Number one, the world disagrees with the church on the second post. The world does not disagree with the church on the first post. Murder, bad, definitely. Disobedient children, n not great. Gossip, not strife. I mean, you can pick the list. They generally don't disagree, but they disagree with this one. So automatically you're posting something where you're not in a space of agreement, you're in a space of disagreement. The world, uh, and when I say the world, specifically our cultural context, disagrees with the conclusion on this one from much of the church. So because there's disagreement with the conclusion, you post something like that and you are going to incite that disagreement, rightly so, because there's a lot of disagreement. That's the first issue. The second issue is the church disagrees with the church. <laughs> We've been doing that for 2,000 years, so that's not new. But we do disagree on this issue. Within the church space, there are people that disagree with what this might say. And so what this verse really means, what it really says, what is really right, what is really true, there's a lot of disagreement about that. So, so you've got disagreement between the world and the church, you've got disagreement between the people in the church and the people in the church, right? And so you post something like that, it's not like gossip, it's not like disobedience to parents, it's not like murder, it is now an entire discussion about, whoa, what do you mean? And where do we stand? And what does this verse mean? And it does mean this, and it doesn't mean that, and it does mean this other thing, and it doesn't mean this, and so we're dealing with all that. And then third, and most importantly of all, those other two are just uh, realities. Here's, here's the big one, right? It hurts people if I post like that. It hurts people because the issue that we're dealing with here speaks to the deepest longings of the human heart. It speaks to what our cultural context has tied to identity, who we are, how we're made, how we think and feel. And I'm throwing that 
flippantly out on a piece of paper going, don't do that. Don't be you, right? That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. It hurts people. It's tied to deep human longings. It's tied to identity issues because our culture has made it identity issues, no doubt. And so when we deal with this particular space, it is a very complicated space. So when we encounter it in scripture, verses like that one I just read, I read it out of the Bible, so it's there, our best bet is to skip it and move on to chapter two. Chapter two, verse one. Therefore, no, I'm just kidding. It's what we often do, but it's not what we ought to do because our responsibility as Christ followers is not to disengage from things that are difficult because they are complex and because they are hard and because they are controversial. It is our responsibility to engage deeply with them and in fact, more than ever, deal with what is in fact real so that we don't make fools out of ourselves using stuff in a way it ought not to be used. Part of the reason why posting that on Facebook would be so damaging is because the church has often used these verses in demonic and horrible ways. And so we go, if we are not faithful to the truth of the text and to the truth of God and to the truth of what he says, then we are shirking our responsibility and we will behave like fools one way or the other. And so it is our responsibility to jump into this because we encountered it in Romans chapter one and that happens to be where we are. That's also why we love traveling through the Bible. We don't do topical here, not that topical is bad, but topical gives us the opportunities to only pick the to topics that we like uh, or that we think are important to the church. This, we just kind of encounter stuff and then we're like, oh no, not that one, uh, but it's right there and so you have to deal with it. So it's a lot of fun. That's why we love traveling this way. And so here we are, this verse is in there, it's in chapter one and we are in chapter one. So it's our responsibility to talk about these issues, right? Now, as we always do before we jump into a passage and start unpacking it, we need to gain context because without context, we make fools of ourselves again because we pull things out of their context and that's how we come up with our ideas about things that are not real because without a context, you cannot know truth. And so let's gain some perspective again on the context of the book of Romans before we jump into this particular part of it, okay? Paul is writing the book of Romans to the church in Rome. He has been in Antioch as his headquarters. He's currently in Macedonia, probably in Corinth as he's writing this letter. He was on his third missionary journey, or really is, and he's planning to move his headquarters from Antioch to Rome because he wants the gospel to expand into the heart of the Roman Empire as it slowly weaves its way into this empire that is rising and he wants the gospel to be able to rise in it and bring life and light and freedom to it. So because he is a Roman citizen and has the ability and right to live in Rome, he decides strategically it'll be good for me to be in Rome. But before he moves his headquarters from Antioch to Rome, he writes a letter to to the church in Rome that we know as the letter of Romans to prepare them for his coming and to solidify and clarify some things about the gospel. And, and in this particular church, you've got the Jews who were there in leadership first, then the Gentiles entered in, then in the late 40s, 48, 49 AD, Claudius kicks the Jews out of Rome, and so the Gentiles become the leadership. Now the Jews are back, and they were the leadership, but they're not the leadership, and the Gentiles weren't the leadership, but they are the leadership, and so it's a bit complicated, as you can imagine, because we even disagree about dumb stuff, and this isn't a dumb thing, and so... 
uh, Paul is writing to the church uh, to weed through the implications of the gospel in light of everyday life, specifically to that church. But because he needs to clarify the gospel with this church as he prepares to engage, this is perhaps one of the most extraordinary theologically rich unpackings of the gospel in all of the New Testament. They are paragraphs that are beautiful, but this entire book is just like, here it is, okay? So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is unpacking for us what the gospel reveals to us, what, what, what Jesus showed us in his coming, taught us, and what God has been showing us since Genesis, okay? And what does the gospel reveal? Well, right in chapter one, we start with what we know the gospel reveals to us, right? That once, long ago, for us humans, things were good. <laughs> it's so nuts, isn't it? To know that once it was good. Do you remember when it was good? No, you don't, because you weren't alive. Nor was I. It was good in the very beginning when Adam and Eve were created into the Garden of Eden with all of that. You remember Genesis chapter one and two? God created us and created creation and it was good. We know it was good. We were good, creation was good, everything was good. Okay, and then we find out that the gospel reveals that it didn't stay good, right? Something happened and it moved from good to broken. Something that's broken isn't good, it's bad, okay? And Romans chapter one tells us this because though it doesn't start with saying it was once good, there is an exchange that takes place in Romans chapter one that we encountered last weekend, right? And you don't exchange the same thing for the same thing, right? And it was bad and they were, they were worshiping themselves, and then they exchanged that for bad worshiping themselves, right? You don't do that. So what he says is there were these exchanges that took place where things were once good, and then we exchanged things, and they became bad and broken. And so we recognize in the gospel that there is this clarity that says it was once good, but now it's broken. And it's broken because sin entered our story because we chose certain exchanges. We exchanged God for stuff. We exchanged the worship of God for the worship of self, and we exchanged God's truth for our lies. That's what we did. We did it in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve, and we've been doing it ever since, okay? So that's what Romans chapter one tells us. But then we also know something else about the gospel that we haven't gotten to yet in Romans chapter one, but we will soon, so don't worry, hold on, okay? That though things were good and things are now broken, sometime in the future, things will once again be good, not, not correct. Good, good try though, I, it was a trick, I'm sorry. Things will be perfect. That's better than good. It's better than good! Because in the garden, we still needed each other, Adam and Eve, you know, they need, but in the perfect, we need Jesus and Jesus alone. So in fact, it is not just good one day, it is perfect one day, and all that good was going to become is in the future. And so we move from good into broken into perfect. Now in the broken, we know something about the broken because it tells us in Romans 1 and it tells us all over the place. In the broken, because sin entered creation, it has distorted the functioning of creation. That's why we have natural disasters. Not because God is mad, not because God's throwing stuff at people, but because creation doesn't work right. And then those things happen and it creates death and we go, where is God? And we go, it's broken. 
That's why it's doing all this stuff. And so these things happen. And in us human beings, we have an expression of that as well. You see, we now have all these unchosen, distorted desires. You all have them. I got them too. You go, I don't think I do. No, no, you, you really do. You really do. You have these things in you, and they're not exactly good and right feelings you have, right? You're driving down the road. You want to kill people. <laughs> you go, I do not want to kill people. No, no, you do. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your enemies, the drivers on the road, you want to kill them. You don't kill them because you know you'll go to prison, but you want to kill them. See, we have distorted desires in us. They are things I want to look at, I want to stare at, I want to engage in, but I, 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 I know that that's not good for my wife, it's not good for my kids, it's not good for me, but I want to. And so I have to wrestle with that. I have unchosen, distorted desires. Do you know why I have them? Because I live in which season of history? The broken one. I'm not in the good, nor you, sorry to tell you. I'm not in the perfect, nor are you, sorry to tell you. I'm in the broken. And the world is broken, and the universe is broken, and I'm broken, and so I have broken desires, and they are unchosen, distorted desires in me that affect the way I think, they affect the way I act, they affect the way I speak, and they are there all the time. Now, we have great hope in the gospel that we get to leave the broken someday fairly soon because we're all a vapor and we've got 100 years tops, maybe 104 if you're unlucky. But regardless, you've got, that's just my perspective. Um, but the reality is, is we all get to go into the perfect if we know Christ as our Savior because He has rescued our soul, redeemed our future, and restored our current purpose. And so though we are in the broken and we struggle with unchosen, distorted desires, there is yet hope to come of great and wondrous perfection, right? And that would be enough, would it not? It's bad now. We'll die soon. It'll get okay. In fact, it'll get awesome. But Jesus didn't just do that. He was so good to us that he reveals to us not only how we wait until it gets perfect, but how we live in the broken yet experiencing life, light, and freedom. Here in the broken. He says, no, no, no. Eternal life is not what is to come. He says it this way. Eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Which means when I know Jesus, I know eternal life. I am living in it, though I am in the broken still and waiting for the perfection to be revealed. And then Jesus said this. While you're living in the broken, here's how you can function in the joys of the perfect in the future even now in the broken, despite your unchosen, distorted desires. Here's what he says. Listen to this. It's so super cool. In the book of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking and he says this to his followers. That would be those of us that know Jesus here. He says this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen. Come to me, all who are labored and are heavy laden. All you who are weary and burdened, yes, come to me and I will give you rest. Oh, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know what his yoke is? 
uh, rabbi's yoke was his teachings, his commands, his ways. So here's what Jesus says. While you are on this planet living in the broken, I have revealed to you my ways, my commands, my teachings, my ideas about your life. And if you take them on rather than taking your own on, what you will find is freedom, even in the broken. So when we believe Jesus and we trust Jesus, when we believe God and we trust God, then we get to live not in the bondage of the broken, but in the freedom despite the broken, even though we are haunted by our unchosen, distorted desires. We can live despite those in the freedom of Christ here and now, not just in the future. That's beautiful. And then, as though God knew how we roll, he said, there's these other humans on the planet too. You're not alone, which is kind of super good because that would be scary, uh, especially at night. But um, we are not alone, which is actually really scary because you all, are just like you want to kill people, people want to kill you. <laughs> so that works out really well, right? We are in danger because we are together and we are all recipients of unchosen, distorted desires. And so we use one another we sin against each other. We do stuff to each other. And it is hurtful and painful and difficult. So God said, you're going to have that dynamic too. So you're going to have to deal with humanity. And if you know me and follow me, this is in the context of uh, those who know and follow Jesus. If you do, here's how I want you to remember to deal with other people's distorted, unchosen desires when they play out and they hurt you. Or other people, watch, watch. Matthew, again, chapter seven, Jesus is speaking. Listen to this. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Hmm, here goes. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Now it says this. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And Jesus goes on. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a tree in your own? Now he said log again, but I, I think of it as a tree. It's just better. It's, I got oak trees and I got an oak tree in my eye. And I'm trying to stare through the leaves of my oak tree to try to distinguish what speck seems to be sitting in yours. And, and Jesus says, you in your own sin, Renault, do not have the clarity to be able to undo somebody else's. Only I have that clarity. So don't try. Okay, and, and he's talking about the brotherhood here. He's, just, he's talking about us that know and follow Jesus. He's not even talking about me in the world yet. That's a whole different ballgame. He's just talking right here, right? And so he says this. Let, uh, or, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a tree in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the tree out of your own eye and then you will, have, you will see clarity to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not saying that we should never help a brother out with the speck in their eye. It just says, here's how sin works. Yours is bigger, yours is worse before you start pl playing with somebody else's. Yours is bigger, yours is worse. Now, it may not be bigger or worse because sin is not bigger or worse, but you ought to have that clarity. You carry unchosen, distorted desires that play out in active sin when they are allowed to. And when they play out in active sin, they become sin. Then yours is bigger. Yours is bigger than your brother's. 
you should see it that way. And you deal with yours first. Yours bigger, yours first. So that's how we deal with each other, right? Not even the world, just each other. That's how we deal. So we have a context here for the book of Romans. Here's the context. The gospel is the context. There was good, then it's broken. We live in the broken. There's perfect coming, that's awesome. But in the broken, here's how you live with yourself, right? You follow Jesus, you trust Jesus, you believe Jesus, and you will live in freedom and not in bondage, in life and not in death on this planet. And then here's how you deal with each other. Your sin first, your sin bigger. Then help your brother out, right? That's a pretty cool deal, is it not? Now, what's the specific context in the book of Romans that we're in, the the actual chapter, okay? Paul is speaking about the broken and the implications to the broken to us as the human race, and he's saying, we, the human race, exchange some things out, God for stuff, the worship of God for the worship of self, and God's truth for our lives. We did that, and as a result of that, that fleshed out in active sinfulness that was bondage in every way. And then he uses some examples about what that could look like. He's just saying, in this particular exchange, for example, if you walk out the door, you'll see that going on in the culture, and, and that's a great example, one of the great examples of that. So in the particular exchange, of truth for a lie and the worship of God for the worship of self. Here's what he says about that exchange. Turn with me to page 1040 if you're using one of our Bibles or Romans chapter one, verse 24 if you brought your own Bible. Romans chapter one, verse 24. Here's what it says. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their own hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. He's talking about blanketing the human race here, okay? Just the distorted, he gave us up. He allowed us in his passive wrath to live out the distorted, unchosen desires in us, and we played it out in a very damaging way, as we will do. And look look what he says. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the cult, the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we exchanged God's truth for our lie and we worshiped ourselves instead of God. And as a result of God saying in his passive wrath, go for it, what happened is we found ourselves in a giant mess of distorted active activity uh, in uh, utilizing our bodies. So, so this is the whole shebang of the distorted sexuality that we have lived in for 2,000 uh, plus years, beyond that as well, right? Listen, listen to this. Are you ready? $3,000 a second is spent on pornography while we sit here. We're sitting here, every second, count it out. $3,000, $3,000, $3,000, spent on pornography. Okay, take a deep breath. 115,000 searches a day for child porn. 115,000 searches a day for child pornography. I wanna throw up. Do we have distorted reality in which we live across the board in our passions? Yes, yes, it's across the board, folks. We struggle, even us, with some of those things. Let's, it's just, it's statistically, it's a, it's a done deal. And even in our marriages, if you have a fantastic covenant marriage and it's beautiful, even your sexuality inside your marriage, you know, half the time it's distorted and half the time it's not because half the time it's about you and half the time it's not. Probably, let's be honest, 90% of the time it's about you and 10% of the time because you love Jesus and he makes you, you say to your spouse, it's about you, really it is, right? I mean, I'm being a bit sarcastic, but it's a, it's a wrestle, isn't it? Even in the beauty of what it should be, it's a wrestle. 
So Paul's saying, we were given over to these insanities. And then he simply says this, as an example, let's just pick an example. Walk out there, and here's your example in the Roman culture. For this reason, God gave them up, verse 26, to dishonorable passions. There's the $3,000, there's the 115,000 searches, there's all the other junk, right? For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and their men likewise gave up natural relations for women who were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so Paul simply says, walk outside in the Roman culture. This is one of the examples you'll see of this distorted reality playing out. Okay? That's what he does. That's what he does. Paul is not elevating this sin to anything other than any of the other things on the list. He's not saying this example is the pinnacle of all examples. He's not saying this example should be set aside from others. He's picking one that's tangible, out there, visible. Let's go, just walk out. You can see it because in the, in the city of Rome, he's writing to the church of Rome, this was a big deal. It was going on everywhere. Teenage daughters were being, were, were being given to gladiators for a night because the DNA in the gladiator was strong. Paul could have used that as an example too, but he just used this one because it was prevalent in the culture and they would have gone, yep, that's a great example of what God intended in Genesis and it isn't what it was intended to be any longer. It's, it's a distorted version of what was intended. So he writes this little example. What we need to do with this example is we need to ask ourselves, okay, it's in front of us. We got to deal with it. Let's talk about it. So we're singling it out, right? Why did we pause in the journey of Romans and not just do last week and move on to next week and we're singling out this little verse? Why? I want to be abundantly clear about this. We are not singling this issue out because it is worse than other issues or bigger than other issues or anything else. We are simply singling it out because in our cultural context, it is a confusing issue that is misunderstood and has been used terribly badly by the church and by the culture. And so we're trying to figure out because gossip is pretty clear and murder is pretty clear and disobedience to parents is pretty clear, we don't have to single those out because they're not confusing. This one's confusing. So we're singling this one out because we need to gain clarity on it. So if we're gonna get, gain clarity on this verse, we need to first answer this question, what is it not saying? Because people have made this verse say lots of things that it is not saying. So what is it not saying? Here's what it's not saying. It's not singling this particular issue out above all the other issues. It's not doing that, it's just an example. It's not elevating it, it's not saying it's worse than all the other stuff, and it is not saying there is a unique condemnation for those in this particular issue from everybody else in all the other particular issues. It's saying, humans, you're condemned. Pick your issue, no matter. You want an example, I'll give you some, right? That's what he's saying. So this is not unique, it is not elevated, it is not contrary to the others or bigger than the others, nor are others bigger than it. Second of all, Paul is not using this space as a dissertation on the reality of same-sex attraction and same-sex sexuality. He's not. It's an example. 
Paul wasn't intending here through the Holy Spirit to go, let me unpack this topic in depth for you so you understand all of its implications and realities. So it's not dealing with the identity issue. It's just not. Paul said nothing about how identity ties to this or doesn't tie to this, right? So we don't know. This passage doesn't give us that. So when people use these verses like, what this says is this, it doesn't because it's not dealing with identity. Scripture deals with identity a great deal, and we can go and explore that if we had four hours, but we don't. But this passage does not deal with identity. This passage also does not deal with the reality of same-sex attraction. It doesn't. It's not talking about attraction here. It's talking about action. Everything in this passage is they went and did these things, and in the doing, this is the exchange. Because of the exchange that took place, these activities developed. It is talking in action, not in attraction. Now, it is talking about desires. Don't get me wrong. You're like, no, well, the desires in it. But the desires, it's not talking about a tied to these actions. That was the example. Here's an active example of these desires going awry. When our desires go awry, they play out in very bad activities across the board, from gossip to disobedience to parents to murder to this. The point is, it's not talking about attraction. It's talking about action. So to be true to this text, we've got to stick to that. Here's the other thing it's not doing. It's not telling us the relationship between attraction or desire and temptation and action. This passage isn't doing that. There's nothing in this passage that goes, now, folks, as Paul writes, just so you know, let me unpack for you briefly how desire relates to temptation, relates to sin, and which one is sin and which one's not, and where the lines are drawn so that we know, so that you don't feel bad thinking one thing and not the other. It doesn't do any of that either. Now, there are other passages that do. So thankfully, we have answers to those things. And all those other passages show us something beautiful, something relieving to all of us. Let's pick James because it's a clarity. James chapter one, let's go there for a second. James talks about the relationship between our desires, our attractions, those kinds of things, and our temptation and action. So here's what James has to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit. James chapter one, Verse 14, it's on page 1113, 1113 of our Bibles. Listen to what it says. Listen carefully, Here's, here it says. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Okay, so we have what kind of desires? Unchosen, distorted desires. Those are in us, why? Because the world is broken and because we are Broken. Welcome. Welcome to planet earth. Welcome to human. That's you. That's me, right? Now those desires sit in us and then temptation is the space that the enemy has to take those desires and use them against us by enticing us into them, right? Was Jesus tempted? The answer is yes. Did Jesus sin? The answer is no. Is temptation sin? It was quieter. Is it a trick question? No. Jesus was tempted. He did not sin. Temptation is not sin. Our desires, we experience temptation when our desires become a space that the enemy can entice us into something. Now look what it says. Look what it says next. Okay. Then desire, when it has conceived, now we are letting that desire become something, gives birth to Sin. See, even in that sentence, it doesn't say when our desire conceives, it becomes sin. It says it gives birth to sin. When desire is conceived and we begin to act on that desire, what does that become? Sin. Okay, disobedience. 
And then it says this, last sentence. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's right. That's always the sequence. So here's what we know. We know that our desires, though distorted because we live in a broken planet, are not our act of sin. It is when those desires become a space in which temptation entices us to act out on them that that becomes active sin and sin then births death. And so in this passage, here's what we know. It does not talk about opposing that sequence. In fact, it doesn't even talk about it at all. It just says, when this is actively playing out, here's an example. Now, what does it say? Those are all the things it doesn't say. What does it say? Buckle up, okay? Here we go. It says, in the English, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, and in any other language you want to go study, it says the same thing. Here's what it says. It says that when we engage in same-sex sexual activity, when we engage in same-sex sexual activity, it is an example of the exchange of God's truth for our lie and the worship of God for the worship of self. It is one of the examples. When we exchange those things, here's some others. When we are sexually active outside of the covenant of marriage, it is an example of the exchange of God's truth for our truth and the worship of God for the worship of self. When we look at pornography, it is an exchange of God's truth for our truth and the worship of self over the worship of God. I can list more examples if you want them. But one of them is whenever we engage in same-sex sexual activity, it is one of the examples of that exchange, which means that it is saying in this passage that when we engage in same-sex sexual activity, it is sinful. That was hard, wasn't it? Did you feel it? And for some of you, like, no, it wasn't hard. No, it was finally some. No, it was hard. It should be hard. It should be hard to hear that because we have human people like you, like me, that deal with these things and it's hard to hear for any of us humans when something that is deep in us and deep longings and ties to deep things that God says, not, not, not that one. And we're like, why? So it's hard, but that's the truth. That's what it says. I can't get around it. Believe me, I've tried. But you can't, it's right there. So where does this leave us, folks? Where does this leave us? If this is the truth, and we talked about the, the good and then the broken and then the perfect, and that in the broken, the way we live freely is we believe Jesus and we follow him. So now God says something and now we're faced with that great reality of the, the, the collision between what we feel is true and right and what God seems to say in this and does say in this is true and right. What does this mean for us? Let's talk. If you are here and you experience same-sex attraction, Here's what you ought to know about what we just covered that's very important. Not just from this passage and what it says, but from this passage and what it doesn't say, and from other passages and what they do say. Let's start here, ready? God is for you. Good news, God is for you. He did not make a mistake when he made you. Just like he did not make a mistake when he made me, because I want to kill people. And so then I would say, gosh, God, why did you make me with this desire to want to kill people and have to wrestle every day not to? You guys are going to leave here going, we're like a murderer. But I'm just being honest, like it happens in me, just like in you. There are things I want to do that I don't want to do, but I want to do them. And so I would say then God made a mistake, but he didn't make a mistake. I am exactly who I'm meant to be with, ready, unchosen, distorted desires. 
because I live in the broken. God did not make a mistake with you. You live in the broken along with me, and you, like me, have unchosen, distorted desires. I am so sorry that you do. I am so sorry that I do. It is not pretty, but God did not make a mistake making us, and we are the people that he is for. God is for you. God did not make a mistake making you. Second, you ought to know this, just like me, the best way for me to live in freedom on this planet before I experience the perfect is to believe Jesus and to trust Jesus over myself. Even when everything he says seems to oppose what I feel or believe to be true. It's just what it is. Again, it's just what it is. It's hard for me. It's hard for you, I get it. If you experience same-sex attraction, you ought to dig into this, and if this is what it says, then as hard as it may feel at first, your best bet like mine is to believe Jesus and to trust Jesus, because that will lead to my freedom here. Thankfully, that even in me, when I struggle to do those things, believe him and trust him, is the gospel still enough for me not to be condemned? For therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Give me the list of condemnation things and I'll put them on there, including this one. Boy, what good news that is. My future is secure because of Jesus and not because of what I choose to do or not to do. Yet my best bet is to believe God and to choose his ways. Third, because we know these things, we want you to know this is a safe place for you. If you struggle with issues that deal with same-sex experiences, same-sex attraction, same-sex lifestyle, this is a safe place for you. It really is. It's not an easy place for any of us because God confronts all of us with things, but it is a safe place for you. We don't mind if you disagree. We don't mind if you wrestle here. We don't mind if you struggle here. We don't mind if you go, you're out to lunch. I've read a book from another pastor. Let's dialogue. Let's talk. It's okay because we're interested in doing journey with one another and with you. So you ought to know that. I'm not promising everyone here is safe because there's too many people and I don't know them all. I haven't had a coffee with every single human that goes to Mosaic to say, you better be a safe place. So there are people here that might not be, but we will be as a, as a leadership, as a body, we'll be a safe place for you. What if you don't experience same-sex attraction, if that's not the category in which you currently fall into in this particular topic? What does this say to you? What does this say to you about that? Well, there's a couple of things that it says because of the context of Romans, ready? Okay, we all live in which season? The broken one. We all have desires that are unchosen and distorted. We ought to have a ton of grace for each other. What? We ought to have a ton of grace for each other. We're all a mess. So let's stop doing this whole thing of trying to figure out who's more messy. We all have distorted things. So let's be gracious toward each other. How would you feel if you walked into a community like this and the first thing I did was handed you a sheet of paper and said, could you write down what you struggle with so we can decide if you belong here? Can you imagine? You walk in, hi, I'm Renaud. Hey, I'm Sue. Hey, Sue, do you gossip? I, I, I don't understand. No, I mean, have you gossiped this week at all? Yes. All right. Well, can we have coffee? Because we need to talk through that before we kind of have you at Mosaic. Because I, I never know. You might gossip with someone here. Oh, my goodness. 
Can you imagine? Let us be gracious, please, to one another, right? Second of all, you ready? This is what we learn from the gospel. You have a tree. You have a tree in your eye. You have a giant oak tree in your eye. So stop trying to figure out somebody else's speck and help them undo it before you've dealt with diligence and others with your oak. Okay? We ought to be gracious to each other and we ought to recognize our inability to be judge, jury, and executioner. We ought to engage with each other as brothers recognizing mine's worse, mine's bigger. If I can help you with yours, please, I'd love to. But help me with mine. That's how we ought to live. This issue is so difficult and so hard because it deals with deep human longings. And so for me to stand up here and say, listen, God is good and God's commands are good. And you just need to trust him if you have same-sex attraction because listen, you know what? It's all good. You're just not gonna be able to do all the things you dream about doing like I can do because I'm married and I have eight kids and I do my thing. And so just trust me, God is good. That doesn't come across well, does it? Because you could look at me and say, you have no idea. You get what you want. Jesus is telling me I can't. Well, one, that's not true. That's the love story that this insane culture has painted for us about a beautiful soulmate who comes to you and birds sing in the sky and then you're finally happy and you have kids and you realize that was definitely not in the fairy tale for a reason. Um, and so then you're like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome. And, and that's the fairy tale. That's not the love story, folks. The love story is between Jesus and his people and those are just shadows of that love story and we all carry some of those shadows beautifully. But the reality is I know how it feels. So instead of me trying to unpack for you, here's why God is beautiful and his commands are beautiful. I want to show you a video. This video has three people in it dialoguing. Sam is in it, Jackie is in it, and Rosaria is in it. These three uh, struggled and struggle in the same areas we've talked about. Sam is a pastor in uh, Europe. He has only same-sex attraction, has always had only same-sex attraction. And so in discovering the beauty of God's commands in the gospel, he has chosen the life of ministry and celibacy, the single life, uh, because remember we talked about the single life being the better one, so super smart. Um, and, and he is living that out. Then there's Jackie, who spent most of her life living in relationships with other women, in lesbian relationships, encountered the gospel, wrestled through all of that, and still does, and she speaks. And then there's Rosario, who also spent the majority of her life living in those relationships, and then encountered the gospel. And they're asked the question, how can we say that God's sexual ethic is good, right? So it, it differs from the world's. How can we say it's good? What makes it good? And they answer that question in a short five minutes video. I want you to take a look at this. Watch these guys. So we're thinking about why the Bible's sexual ethics good news for the world. Any thoughts? It's good for the world because it's the wisest thing available because it's God's holiness. Like his holiness is good for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely. And I, and I also think about what it means to be an image bearer of a holy God. That the the Bible's sexual ethics are, uh, you know, a part and parcel of the Bible's goodness and the Bible's truth and the Bible's beauty and the Bible's realistic understanding that we are not Rousseau's children. We are not good. 
if we simply do what we feel like. Mm -hmm. That um, uh, Jeremiah 17 says that sin is edged in a diamond knife upon our hearts. And so, um, and it's not just about being broken, because then John 3.19 says we love the darkness. You know, and I think that we, we, all, we all here can confess that we love our sin. And that's why we need not only the Bible's good news, but the power and the might of Jesus Christ and his love and his, his union with us mm-hmm. that allows us to stand apart from that. Because left to ourselves, we're dangerous. Mm-hmm. And because the Bible is realistic about that, it's just, it's just straightforward about that. Yeah. It doesn't hold any, any punches. It doesn't pull any punches. Because of that, we can see ourselves as image bearers of a holy God. But in order to live out that holiness and, and, and live out that righteousness mm-hmm. and live out that goodness and live out that beauty, we need God to intervene. Yeah. And so for many of us, the Bible's sexual ethics... While they're good for the world, I would, you know, just speaking for myself, they weren't self-evidently true to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did not wake up one day and say, wow, you know, I mean, I was not the child that wanted to get married and have a parcel of kids. That just didn't seem like me at all. Mm. And so the other part of the good news and the beauty is that it's, it, it, was, um, it was an acquired taste. Mm. You know, somewhat like the beauty of a, of a Shakespearean sonnet. It just, first time you hear it, it just seems hard. Mm-hmm. But when you study it and you live it and you let it seep into you, all of a sudden you find this thing called peace yeah. and rest. Yeah. I think for me one of the, the key things was realizing that none of what God says is arbitrary. Yeah. I was visiting a friend recently. He's got a, a two-year-old girl. And uh, they had made her favorite meal, spaghetti, because the last time she made it, they made it, she loved it. And she's at that age where she's not eating anything. Mm-hmm. And yet this particular day, she was like, I don't like spaghetti and threw the plate across the, the table and chaos ensued. And I reminded myself of the gift of singleness. <laughs> but, it, it, but I think we sometimes have that view of, of God's sexual ethics. He's a bit like a two-year-old who just arbitrarily says, mm-hmm. I've decided I like this and I don't like that. And if we come at the Bible as just an arbitrary list of random prohibitions, you can do this, you can't do that, mm. it's going to be hard to love mm. what he says. But as you, you're saying, when we know it's, it's our creator, the, the one who, he's more committed to our joy than we are, mm. he knows us better than we know ourselves. And actually we begin to see as we study the Bible a shape and a framework to what it says about sexual ethics and a rationale to the whole thing that yeah. can, we can then get why certain things are prohibited and certain things are encouraged. Yeah. And it's, it's good. Yeah. It makes sense to us. I remember there was a season in my life when I was really being t- tempted with lesbianism. I was a believer, but I just wanted to go back. Like I just mm. wanted to uh, engage in relationships and conversations with women. And I remember asking God, I'm like, God, okay, I see what your scriptures have to say about homosexuality. That's very clear to me. I'm not even going to argue that that's not what you're trying to say. But I just want to know why. Yeah. It's like when your mother tells you to like wash the dishes now. It's like, (laughs) why now? Like, why not like 10 minutes from now? And I went to Genesis and I just did this thorough study 
on God and Adam and Eve and sin and goodness. And I, I walked away from it seeing that God's commandments are so linked to his character. Mm-hmm. He is good. Mm-hmm. So his commandments are also good for those who love him. Yeah. I think the world needs to see that his commandments are a good thing because they come out of a good God. And I don't think we see God as good oftentimes, so yeah. neither do we see his commandments as such. David says in Psalm 19, the commands of the Lord are radiant. And the, his commandments are radiant because he is. Amen. And so when we can see his goodness and radiance through what he says, we doesn't mean we find it easy to, to live by his ways, but we, we start to want to. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, I, I, I absolutely love what Sam closed out with there that God's commands are radiant because he is radiant. And when we realize he is radiant, we will love his commands. This is exactly what happens in my home, right? I've got a bunch of kids. I love them to death. They love me. But then there's all these things I have to do that are commands, that are instructions to help them grow into the people that I believe they can become, that I believe God has made them for, right? But a half to three quarters of those instructions make no sense to someone who's nine or 13 or 17, right? And so they have to face the reality that their idea, their desire, their thought is different than mine. And I'm, I'm bringing something to the table that does, does, does not line up with them. So they have to decide. Does dad being 42 and having lived longer than me and dad loving me and mom loving me, does that mean enough that this command, though it makes no sense, is good because he is good, she is good, and they love me? Uh, He said it this way. Sam said, God is more committed to our joy than we are. Wow, if we only believed that. And if my kids believed that about me, could you imagine Oh, Dad, your commands are radiant to me. (laughs) Moment of silence to live in that space for a second. Mm. Mm. Can you imagine what a home would look like then? If my kids just believed that my heart for them was good, and though I am imperfect and sometimes make dumb commands that make no sense because they actually make no sense, God never does that. So how much more can we not say he is always good and always wise and always radiant? And so when he tells us a way to live that collides with what we believe, what is our choice? To believe him to be good and more committed to our joy than we are or to believe us to be wiser and more committed to our joy than he is. God is good. God hates death and bondage and he is committed to us, so he is for us and for our freedom, so let us believe him even when it seems to us that he is taking from us freedom because he is not arbitrary in anything he does. Everything is for his glory and for our good, and so we can trust him with that. Considering that, we should be for each other. I was gonna say it again, we should be for each other. That means we should be full of grace and full of truth, okay? Because if you eliminate one for the other, then you eliminate goodness toward another person. Bringing someone all the grace in the world, meaning I don't share truth with you, isn't love, it's hate. And bringing someone truth without being empathetic and understanding and gentle and kind is not truth. It's a distortion of truth and it is a weapon that we call truth used against someone. And even though the fact might be true, it is no longer truth to them. It is just pain. Jesus was always full of 
grace and truth. Let us not make the first conversation we have with someone that walks in holding hands with their partner. Oh, uh, that's not going to fly. How dare we? They are just walking in the door, just like we just walk in the door. And how would it feel if we dived in right to whatever your particular thing is, right? No, the gospel is what we bring to the table and the journey toward Jesus and the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And just like my distorted things don't make me who I am, nor do yours. What makes me who I am is that God is for me, that Jesus loves me, that I have the Holy Spirit in me who is sanctifying me despite my insanity, and that I have a future that is perfect. Yeah, welcome to Renault. I also have some distorted desires. You'll have to deal with those. And we should be for the world. Jesus was not against the world. He did not come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. It is not our job to judge the world. It is our job to take the gospel to the world. And again there, we have no space there to tell the world how they are or are not to live. We only have the invitation to tell them who Jesus is and what he's done so that they would know it and see it in us. Let us be for the world carrying the good news to the world. And here's the good news. You ready? We have a gracious redeemer. And because he is gracious, there is no shame. There is no fear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ despite our dysfunctions. That is good news. Worthy of carrying to the world and worthy of remembering for our own souls. This is what we are called to. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us and all that you do to effect for us a life of freedom, both eternally in the future in perfection and temporarily in the broken that we might live in this space free because we are trusting and believing you. Help us to be a place that is safe for each other in whatever journey we are on where we are colliding with our unchosen distorted desires and as they play out that we would be a place where we can serve one another as we are served by one another in a journey toward becoming more like you, trusting you more, believing you more, living more, like you, for you, and with you, so that we might experience the joy and freedom that you are committed to in us. Help us not to exchange lies for truth, but help us to believe. Help us to be a church that is a good and safe place for all who are journeying with you and wrestling with themselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.